I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Rise and shine, football fans. Welcome to Morning Footy. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I'm Susanna Collins alongside Nico Cantor, Jaleel Anibaba in the house. Let's go. Alexis Guerrero. So we've got Ali Trost Martin in for some headlines. Hello, Jaleel. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank it's you. Back. Always a pleasure to have you. Always. At the desk. Um, okay, quickly, before we get into some stuff, what happened with Nashville, man? Orlando happened to them. Man. <laughs> you know? I'm so bummed. I kept thinking maybe this is the year that they, they keep that playoff push going. Alas. I, I know. I know. League's Cup was, was definitely the height of their season. Yeah. Um, that final. But, again, Orlando, you have to give them all the credit. They've been, they've been fire. I can't hold fire. you. Fire. We're going to chat more about them later in the show. What else is new? What's good? What's new in your life? Everything is good. Nothing, nothing too new. But, I mean, the weather is something to adjust to up here. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. It's Wait winter. till you see how cold it gets in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, brought, I brought my jacket this time. <laughs> Suze was like, hey. Make sure you don't come here with short sleeves. I'm good to go. All right. uh, Let's dive into the big news from yesterday, which is uh, Emma Hayes officially announced as the new head coach of the U.S. women's national team. Her contract is going to run through the end of 2027, um, and she will officially take over in May at the end of Chelsea's season. We've heard this news kind of percolating in the ether for the last week or so, but now that it's official, Alexis. Huge. Massive, right? Massive. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of rundown of her record, six FA WSL championships, five women's FA Cups, two women's uh, FA Women's League Cups since she arrived in uh, in England in 2012. I mean, just an absolute baller. Has, Has played, has coached in the U.S., understands the U.S. system. She said this was her dream, or one of her goals, I should say, to coach the women's national team here in the U.S., it, the one thing that I could say about her besides the videos that have been released of showing her coaching, you know, uh, the halftime speeches, the way she inspires her team, the way she holds her players accountable and gets them to rise to a different level. Of all of those, the one thing I can say about her is that she clearly has the right attitude to be the next coach after a little bit of a stall or a stale era here for the U.S. Women's National Team. Mm-hmm. Jaleel, what was your reaction to the news? I mean, we've been hearing about this for a while now. Um, and I think first and foremost, it's good that it's final and the women's national team can now move forward in their planning. I think 
it's going to be hugely important for her to get on the same page with the biggest stars in the women's national team. And I think when and if she does that, they're destined for the greatness that we all know that they can produce. That's, I feel like, what we were waiting for in the dressing room for the women's national team. Have a personality that can guide this group forward because we know the talent they can produce, this newer, younger generation. But I feel like Vladko wasn't that type of manager that can reap the most rewards out of a group with so much potential. And it did feel like at the World Cup, there were still so many question marks around this team. And with Emma Hayes, there's a strong personality that can really put everything right back on track where it should be where, where honestly, we expect it to be. And she's gonna have to live up to the moment because arguably, this is the biggest job in women's football. Mm -hmm. No, 100%. And I feel like there is just a, a, a level of excitement now with this announcement that hasn't been there um, in recent months. So very, very excited. And we are going to bring in uh, Lisa Carlin right now to chat more on this very exciting news. Lisa, what was your reaction? I know that we have been discussing this and kind of what this could look like. But now that it is official, uh, how do you feel about Emma Hayes becoming the new head coach? Suze, it's so exciting. This is the rebrand that the U.S. Women's National Team needed in bringing in a coach like Emma Hayes, who has such a storied and a successful resume behind her. And it's so much of what she does on the pitch and off the pitch that excites me about her because of her ability to handle big personalities, her ability to um, defend a title. Uh, that is what she has done at Chelsea four straight times in the Super League. Handle uh, the adjustments of teams throwing low blocks at her and being able to break that down with her team, being unsatisfied with what her team is giving her. This is a huge hire for U.S. soccer. Um, she was really subtle about it in the announcement that came from Chelsea a week ago and then her saying, hey, I, I just want to spend time with my family. I love it here. And then, boom, U.S. soccer announces this and it's an incredible hire. I mean, look at this resume for her. She has done so many great things. Lisa, my question is, and Jaleel brought this up, about her ability, and you said it as well, her ability to handle big personalities and stars. But I get the feeling that she immediately becomes the biggest personality in that locker room. And it's everyone's gonna have to figure out how to handle her. Am I wrong in suggesting that? No, Alexis, she has a big personality. And that's honestly one of the reasons why she's going to be able to handle this job and handle the other personalities in the locker room. There's a video going around right now on social media, Attacking Third put it out there from DAZN of Emma Hayes speaking to Chelsea after one of their losses. And she frankly says, this is not good enough. We are providing you with all the resources to succeed and to be the very best. And if you can't do that, there is someone else that will and you can. She is very frank. She is very upfront with her players about the success that she wants from them, about what she expects from them. And if they're not living up to that standard, she will throw it right back in their faces in the most professional and expected way. However, she demands a lot from her players and she doesn't let them slip. And that's exactly what the U.S team needs because they have giant personalities that are playing on this U.S. roster. However, they also have some young players that are learning to adjust to those big personalities as well, learning to find their own identity in international soccer. And when you look at what she's done with Chelsea, there's a player like Millie Bright, who she brought in that was essentially off the map. And now who is Millie Bright? She plays for the Lionesses. She's captain. She has 
established herself as a center back for Chelsea and for England, but she also has dealt with really big personalities and young ones, Lauren James as well, who has come into Chelsea and then succeeded internationally and at the club level. So Emma Hayes can handle that pressure because she knows what it's like to be that big personality and demand from others. You use the word demand a lot, Lisa. Do you see that Emma Hayes is more demanding than Vladko and demands more respect Mm -hmm. than Vladko? Yes, Emma Hayes doesn't roll over easily. And that's what exactly what you need in this position when you have incredibly smart minds in the front office and in, in your staff and also in your players looking to bring you ideas. Those are things that you need to look out for and be able to take acceptance and, and criticism and feedback, but also know what your players can do and what can adjust. So Nico, when you look at Emma Hayes and tactically what she's done at Chelsea, because That's where she's been for the last decade. She's adjusted formations based on opposition, based on the personnel she has. And that means leading up to the match, adjusting formation, whether it's a five back, a four back, a three back. And then even in game, she's made on the fly tactical adjustments to help her team succeed. But that means she has to do so much work leading up to those in-game adjustments to know and to teach the players when to make those adjustments, how to make them, what happens when it's done. It's a lot of moving parts that, frankly, we have not seen at the U.S. Women's National Team level in the last several years. Yeah, and Lisa, you talk a lot about what you expect her to do, how exciting this is. My question to you is, she's reported to not really take over this women's national team until May, when she's done with Chelsea. What do you expect her to do in the interim to really get the ball rolling before she starts the job? Julia, she has to start immediately, even if it's just a small mental part of her game. And I know Chelsea fans probably aren't going to want to hear that because there is not a lot of buildup. You look at the May timeline when Chelsea, the earliest Chelsea could be done, which they haven't been done that early. They're also hopeful um, to continue play and in other areas of the game. And there are international and FIFA windows. So during those FIFA windows, she will be in talks with Twyla Kilgore, who will be the intern for U.S. soccer and the this staff and the training staff at U.S. soccer to get them up to speed on what she needs to hire other personnel on her staff that she wants to bring in to put those people in the right positions. It's a lot to handle two jobs at once and two really big jobs with the entirety of the world's eyeballs on Emma Hayes for these next several months. However, you have to look at the turnaround as well, because once May comes, there are two international windows before the Paris Olympics. She needs to be fully focused and have her entire staff in, in, in place for those two international friendlies before the Paris Olympics, because the expectations for the United States at these Olympics are still really high after winning bronze at the last Olympics in 2020 in Tokyo, and then dropping out of the group of 16 in this most recent world cup, the expectations are still there for the United States. So for Emma Hayes, she needs to be able to juggle both teams at this point and understand that she has to get the pieces in place within us soccer and the women's national team. So when she slots in there full time, it is a well-oiled machine, and she's just ready to get go and step into play. Lisa, uh, obviously, I, for me, I think the, one of the big tasks for her in, uh, coming up is the transition from the era of the previous, which we still see some players involved, to a much more different youth uh, style of play. You know, I'm thinking of the Trinity Robbins, the Ashley Sanchez, is a bit more dynamic, a little bit different style of play. Do you think she's the right uh, coach to lead that line? 
it will be a big adjustment for Emma Hayes to be able to deal with that. And we've seen the struggles and the earthquakes that have happened over the last several months and, and year and a half, really, of this transitional movement for the United States women's national team. However, Emma Hayes is, is a fresh face for this U.S. side. And because of that, she doesn't have so many of the biases maybe that uh, another coach has had. And I don't mean negative biases, more just understanding the personality and knowing these players. Emma Hayes knows these players very well. She's going to need to learn a lot more about them. But she hasn't been in the mix, even in the NWSL mix, to understand what kind of treatment these players have been getting and what kind of their status is because she doesn't really care about that as a manager. She wants to win. And that's going to mean the best 11 players in that moment out on the pitch at the same time to pick up the win. So that is a mindset that I'm really excited the, for U.S. soccer to have because Hayes already has it in what she's able to do in rotating players around um, who she's been able to recruit to come into Chelsea. She can understand and, and develop younger talent and recognize talent that maybe hasn't been exploited in the most positive way before. And that's what I'm excited because there are so many good youth players in U.S. soccer that need to start to be exposed to the senior national team before it's too late, before we get to another chunk in six, seven years where it's like, okay, we have a group of six or seven players leaving and now we need to bring in brand new ones. I want there to be more of an evergreen transitional turnover. Love it. Uh, Lisa, great stuff as always. We appreciate you taking the time to join us this morning. Always great to see you. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. All right, we are going to take a quick timeout. Ali Trost Martin's going to be back with some headlines when we return. Don't go anywhere. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, everyone. This is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. men's national team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Fiori gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger. And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, 
but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Welcome back. This is the content I live for, people. Oh, my gosh. These are the La Liga mascots. They've begun training for the mascot Olympics that are happening this weekend. I mean, it's no joke. Las mascotas de los clubes de La Liga. Dale. Dale. That dude got no shoes? Are, hey, are we sure that Suze is not in one of these costumes? Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. I'm, I'm, I might have been moonlighting. There's I don't an, know. I think there's an inflatable eagle with uh, abs on the neck uh, <laughs> missing. Olimpiadas de las mascotas. La Liga. Bienvenido. Será la mejor competencia de mascotas del mundo. One of my goals is for you to do Chiringuito. That's one of my goals. That's amazing. I've got a... Uh, hi, what's his name? Uh, I can't uh, remember the dude's name. Tick Tock. You guys know the show. Do you know the reference? Yeah, you know Chiringuito. The cameras are like moving in and out. The lights it's are going the, crazy. It's the biggest <laughs> no. show in Spain. It's a little bit okay. of sensationalist journalism, but it all surrounds Real Madrid and Barcelona and big transfers, and they always want to get the the first to say in the Mbappe saga. It's like soccer stuff. TMZ mixed with like what oh. happens now with oh, Andy Cohen. Oh, yeah, and, and Pedrerol is the host. He's this older gentleman, but <laughs> he's like, he like he's played into the role really well, and, and he's like. So is that you imitating him, creating yeah. the mascot? Trick. Oh, well, now it has become that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what it sounded like to me, at least. Mbappé. Mbappé. Llegará al rey. Llegará. No se sabe. I love it. I, it's, it's fantastic. Also, it's, it's, it's extraordinary television is what it is. Do you know what it's, that, That's extraordinary television. Mascots training. I would give anything to be in Spain right now, Allie. I know you. But Seuss, I, I didn't see anyone bouncing on their neck. So in my book, you could take home gold based Thank on you. the tricks that I saw. Thank you. So Thank that's you. what I'm saying. I don't know. I'm not a judge, but Clear if I favorites. were, you're taking home uh, the gold. Hey, Allie, really, real quick. There's a guy in a bathrobe upset you didn't get the gabagool outside. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that today. I don't know, Alexis. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to feed the bit. You're she, getting you know, the East Coast. I know you like a good bit. <laughs> on Wednesdays, we wear pink. It's freezing outside, but uh, I'm not letting go of summer. So let's get into the headlines and we start with some big news that broke out of Italy yesterday. Napoli has fired Rudy Garcia as manager, replacing him with Walter Mazzari. The reigning Serie A champions have parted ways with Garcia after just 12 league matches, a move that came after Napoli's shocking home loss to Empoli on Saturday, which left the club 10 points behind league-leading Inter. Mazzari returns to the Napoli side that he managed from 09 to 2013. Staying in Syria, Nicolo Fajoli is in the midst of serving a suspension for betting on soccer matches, but that has not stopped Juventus from committing to him long term. The Bianconeri has signed Fajoli to a contract extension that will keep him in Turin through the 2027-28 season. Fajoli is currently serving a seven-month suspension and won't be eligible to return until next season. The 21-year-old had played six matches for Juve this season before his suspension began. In Germany, Union Berlin's terrible start to the season has cost their manager his job. Urs Fischer has been fired after five seasons in charge. Union is sitting in last place in the Bundesliga, writing a 14-match winless run that includes nine straight losses in league play. Fischer led Union to a surprising fourth-place finish in the Bundesliga last season, earning the club its first Champions League berth. He took charge in 2018 and helped Union Berlin earn its first promotion to the Bundesliga. 
In international soccer news, the U.S. under-17 men's national team won their second straight match at the U-17 World Cup this morning, beating Burkina Faso 2-1. Carol uh, Figueroa and Nif, uh, Nim Fasha Berchimas, sorry you guys, Ooh, those were some mouthfuls back-to-back, back. scored the goals to push the Americans a step closer to qualifying for the knockout rounds. The U.S. opened the tournament with a 3-1 win over South Korea, and they close out group play on Saturday against France. We close with some MLS news. The New York Red Bulls have cleaned house after their disappointing 2023 season, parting ways with interim head coach Troy Lassane and assistant Zach Prince, as well as sporting director Dennis Hamlet. The Red Bulls reached the playoffs for the 14th straight season, but finished in eighth place in the Eastern Conference with a losing record of 11 wins, 13 losses, and 10 draws. Lassane stepped in as interim coach in May when Gerard Stuber left the club. Jaleel, Red Bulls, uh, they're a long way from that team that was winning three supporter shields in five seasons. I'm curious who you see making sense as their next coach, or are there problems deeper than just a managerial change? Oh, the problems are way deeper than just a manager for me. Um, I think this does make sense, although there are a lot of casualties and heads rolling here, but this side is not at all up to the level for what we are used to seeing as MLS fans, MLS people who love this this uh, this league here. And if you look all the way back to the start of the season, it was doomed from then. When Dante Van Sier comes in and it is a complete bust. When you spend that much money and you only get 19 games played, eight games started, two goals and one assist, three goal contributions is not enough from your designated player. And just all the drama swirling around the club throughout the year, it's just too much noise for players to really focus in, lock in, and perform at their highest level. That's why you see Red Bull barely getting into the playoffs mm -hmm. by the skin of their teeth. You have to give them credit on decision day, but at the end of the day, we expect more from the New York Red Bulls. It, it yeah. feels like that moment halfway through the season almost with, it was a racial incident that ended up booting Dante Van Sier and, and Gerhard Schubert out of the club. An MLS team, in a season that's long, I understand those numbers aren't good for Dante Van Zier. We saw him in Europe. I, I, I was watching his games when we were yeah. doing the last show. You could see that he had potential for Major League Soccer. And it's a long season. You can turn the ship around. But when, for obviously horrendous reasons, they're out of the club suddenly. You're your manager and your best player. It feels like it's difficult to kind of make everything a yeah, success. It's I get that, but if we think about the project as a whole, I mean, this is a club that's storied, right? They've, they've been here since the beginning when they were Metro Stars, now the Red Bulls. This is one of the best stadiums in the country. This is a massive market. This project has gone stale. Think about the success yeah, Bragantino has. is having right yep. now. Think of the success Salzburg has continued to have. They're basically the only team in that league. And think about the continued success that Leipzig has had. What is going on with New York Red Bull that is mm -hmm. different from all the other Red Bull projects? Why has this not been able to pick up? Why why has this gone from the era where Thierry Henry and some of the bigger names around that were winning Supporter Shield? Why have they still not won an MLS Cup? Why have they not even gotten to the point where this fan base can be comfortable thinking they're close? It almost feels like this fan base is due for another town hall, which I'm sure you remember back in the day, yep. where the fans were so upset with what was going on with the club as NYCFC was starting. It feels like they're back to that. And jokes aside, everyone knows I'm an NYCFC fan. Jokes aside, you want your rival to be healthy and to be strong. Yes, they made the playoffs and NYCFC didn't. But I think if you, if you asked 
fans, how they felt about their clubs, I think Red Bull fans would say that they're not sure of what comes next it's not good for their club. Mm-hmm. And this is right. not good enough. To clean house now, I think, is a good start. Just but I think the there's right some direction. questions as to what is that plan going forward. Why are they not at the same level Bragantino, Leipzig, and Salzburg are at? Yeah, it felt like an inevitability that this was going to happen a little bit. I have to give a huge amount of credit, though, to Troy Lesane and what he was able to do with that mm-hmm. team under a duress. And, you know, he's credited a lot. You heard the players talk about how he kind of changed the culture in that locker room. And they were playing for him, mm-hmm. uh, especially at the end of the season and getting into the postseason. But it does kind of feel like that moment of reckoning for the club where it's like we have to make some, some serious changes changes from top to bottom. So um, huge credit to them. And you do, my heart goes out to them, but it's just, that's the business, man. It's the way it goes. Um, we talked about the coaching carousel yesterday in MLS. I'm sure we're going to have plenty more of these conversations uh, coming up in the next few months. All right. We are going to take a break. Um, yesterday was a big day for us because we had a chance to catch up with Michael Fassbender, who is portraying Thomas Rongen in Next Goal Wins, which premieres this Friday. That conversation is coming up after a quick timeout. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Uh, Well, this Friday, the anticipated film Next Goal Wins hits theaters, and it tells the inspiring story of Thomas Rongen and his efforts to turn the tide for the American Samoa soccer team. Um, Here's a clip of the film. Well, yesterday we had a chance to chat with the man who portrays Thomas Rongen on the big screen, Michael Fassbender. Here's that conversation. Well, we are absolutely thrilled to welcome in Michael Fassbender to Morning Footy. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. This is the first time that we are having an Academy Award nominee join us. So um, we're we're pretty honored. This is big time for us, man. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Okay, so... 
We all know Thomas Rangan uh, personally, and to say the least, he is uh, an eccentric cat. So I'm. I'm <laughs> nice description. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Easy way to put it. He is. He is. I speak the truth. Was this the hardest role you've ever had? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious as to what your first impressions of him was and what it was like to play such a, uh, a unique character. Uh, well, I never met him. Um, personally, you know, I just had the footage from the, uh, the documentary and then whatever I could find on, on YouTube. And to be fair to, to Thomas as well, once we got on set and once, you know, we started to approach the story itself, there's, it's not like there's a lot of him there. You know, for one, I didn't even try to do the Dutch accent. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I spoke to Tyke early on in, um, in preparation for it. And I was like, okay, well, what do we do with the accent? He was like, you know, I don't think people are going to really understand what you're trying to do. Um, so, and also just the nature of the way we were filming, um, quite a lot of improvisational stuff. I just stuck to, to my own accent. So... And then in terms of just how we wanted to tell the story and the way that we were approaching it, the essence of, of Thomas is, is hopefully there. And obviously, you know, a, a, some of the real crucial backstory of his life is, is obviously there. Um, but I couldn't say that I did justice to Mr. Rongan. I hope he's not offended. Let me put it that way. <laughs> not at all. I suppose he, he loves the, the portrayal. In fact, that's one of my questions. What about the role itself drew you to it? Because it, I guess the way we've heard this story, it's more of a sports movie, but we've seen so much of this film now, and it seems like it's much more heartfelt, much, much deeper. What exactly drew you to this uh, role? Well, you know, first of all, Taika at the helm of it. You know, I think he, he's such an interesting filmmaker. Um, very exciting filmmaker and the story, it's just such an endearing story, you know, the underdog story, um, just that, that sort of attitude in life where, you know, you, 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 to just go for it and, uh, regardless of, of your ability and, and, you know, in this case on a world stage, um, to just, to, to just give it your all. And, you know, follow your passion. Uh, it, it's just, it's sort of intoxicating, that, that message, for me anyway. Well, that's amazing. That's incredible. I watched the documentary and I remember watching it and it, I was blown away mm -hmm. by everything. And now I can't even imagine it in a movie. I want to move the conversation forward, though, Michael, about your football fandom is what I want to know. Uh, you were born in Germany. You grew up in Ireland, and you're based out of London. I know you're a Liverpool supporter, but yes. where does your allegiance lie with, the, with national teams, for example? Well, luckily enough, um, uh, or unluckily, you know, uh, Ireland haven't really performed so well uh, in terms of um, football or, or, or soccer uh, nationally in, in the last few years. Um, so I always have Germany as a backup, which is not bad because they, they perform pretty well. Um, but if it was to come down to it, if Germany was to play Ireland, I would have to say I'd go for Ireland. Um, yeah, I, I think my allegiance would lie there just because, you know, we've got great supporters. And we just, you know, haven't experienced anywhere near the success that that Germany has experienced and Liverpool I've I've always followed Liverpool uh, kind of by default um my cousin who I always looked up to Thomas funnily enough Thomas <laughs> um 
was a Man United supporter and uh, he had this sort of um, this stuff, you know, that you lick and stick on the window, one of those things uh, that sort of like you can stick on your car window, Liverpool um, gear. And uh, I guess he wanted to give me a present as an older cousin. So he gave me all this Liverpool stuff. And I thought it was because he was a Liverpool fan. So I've followed Liverpool ever since. So I think about five years of age. And I actually got a, an amazing opportunity to go to Anfield. The one and only time I've been to Anfield was for the Liverpool versus Barcelona game semi-final uh, of the Champions League. No way. <laughs> it got, yeah, it was kind of and amazing. Only, the, only the, the best match of all time. Yeah, what a time to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Incredible. Unbelievable. Michael, we, we yeah. share that. I am a Liverpool fan as well. And I, I very much remember where I was watching that match. I was at a bar in Manhattan. And it was fairly empty at that time of the day here. And I was I stood up on top of the bar stool and was just like fist pumping. And the few people that were there looked at me like I was absolutely insane. Like, we need to order this. So I can only imagine what it was like to be there witnessing this firsthand. I mean, as a Liverpool supporter, tell me, tell me what it was like. What were the scenes like? Well, it was incredible because uh, I went with a friend of mine, Connor. And he said, we've got these tickets. Obviously, we, we'd sort of organized them, you know, weeks in advance. And he was like, do you still want to go? You know, it was, um, you know, it was, it was, it was over the sort of Champions League sort of, um, idea or dream that year. And I was like, well, we have to go. We have to go. Of course, we're going to go. And as soon as I arrived in the stadium, you know, the, just the, the, the Anfield atmosphere and the Liverpool supporters are so unique. Uh, you know, the hairs were standing up on the back of my neck. I mean, the song, you know, there's just the atmosphere in the stadium before the game even started was incredible. And then to witness, you know, what they did. I mean, I'm such a fan of um, Jurgen Klopp, uh, his whole mentality, uh, how, you know, that that sort of, you know, never give up type attitude uh, was something to really witness that night. I mean, to, uh, it was so inspirational to see that team of players that night do kind of the impossible because you really thought, well, anything is possible. You know, that's that's the great thing about sport. You have those moments. I guess then my next question is billion dollar question. Who would you rather play in a film, Steven Gerrard or Jurgen Klopp? Ooh. <laughs> um, I think I'd go for Jurgen Klopp. Really? I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Give us your best Jurgen Klopp laugh. <laughs> you gotta oh, God. show his teeth. You gotta show the teeth, Michael. It's football. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. Oh, it's terrible. Right. It's terrible. You're good at cold reads. <laughs> that was so good. That was so good. It's terrible. No. <laughs> that was so good. It was like my, one of my one of my lifelong dreams, Michael, is to get a Jurgen Klopp hug because you know he hugged his players with such conviction and I always thought man what would it be like to be on the receiving end of a clap hug and I feel like that would just be like a bucket list item I don't know how you feel about it but <laughs> that's yeah, especially I when he used to wear glasses as well because you know if you were lucky a pair of glasses would get broken in the exchange uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 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 I have to say it is one of my you know my missions or dreams to, to actually meet him I find him um, very inspirational would you, if you could win an Academy Award, but then that means Liverpool doesn't win the league <gasps> or Champions League for the next 10 years, Ooh. Would, you, would you do it? Would you take that deal? I'd take the Academy Award. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, have to let, 
games in between. <laughs> I mean, Sounds we won right. it after, I don't know, what was it, 25 years or something like that? Uh, so I'll take another 10, 10. Yeah, I'll take the Academy Award. Amazing. Who is your favorite Liverpool player? Because there's been so many. Uh, I guess when I, you know, when I started supporting, it was back in the day. It was like uh, the candy shirt. So it would, you know, John Barnes. Mm -hmm. uh, favorite Liverpool player? I mean, Mo Salah. Ugh. I would say probably. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's exceptional. What about favorite Liverpool kit? Oh, good one. I would have to say the candy one. Yeah. The, the one with the sash, yeah. the green, the white and green. Didn't that have well, candy? There's, there's mm -hmm. also white there was white and red. Yeah. yeah. Like the, yeah. yeah. They, they we're talking like this is probably in 86. Yeah. So that strip. Whoever candy was that was sponsoring the team, um, I'll go for that, that strip. Funny nice. enough, I was at Anfield just at the beginning of this year, the other side of the knockout stage, and there were a lot of Irish Liverpool supporters that had flown in. There's a ton. And then it was after the Madrid game, and they weren't so happy afterwards, and they had had a couple of beers, and I was on the in a taxi with them on the way back, and it was like unintelligible, unintelligible English. It was very. I needed subtitles to understand them. It was pretty impressive that we were speaking. That's called Friday night in court. The same <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, Irish fans traditionally within the Premier League, you know, you'll find them either supporting Man United or Liverpool, really predominantly, certainly in, in my generation. Then, of course, you know, with the success of Chelsea in later years and uh, possibly Man City now in, in more recent years, but that they were the, the, the two teams, really. You had uh, Liverpool, Man United um, and... And once you're a supporter, once you know that the, you're there for life, aren't you? So, yeah, I'm uh, proudly Liverpool. But I'm not a huge football fan, I have to say. Uh, I'll make that confis uh, confession. Uh, I, You know, in terms of sports, motorsport is kind of really what I, I, I follow uh, in terms of sports. What specifically? Uh, I've always, uh, Formula One. Um, you know, since probably 89, my grandfather was a, a big Formula One fan. So just always remember Sundays watching uh, the race with him. So I really took an interest, I guess, yeah, around 89, 90. Okay, hold up. I'm Argentinian, so I, I have my oh, horse in the race. I know, I know. Who's the greatest F1 driver of all time? Come Here on. we go. Come well, on. you're going to say Fangio, aren't you? I mean, uh, he's got to be up there. Juan Manuel Fangio, I mean, um, very difficult to compare through, you know, generations. Um, Five-time world champion in a different era. This guy Carver. knows, this guy knows. Yeah, it was a, you know, diff, diff, different vehicles. Lewis Hamilton, you know, in a, a modern era, hard to argue his achievements. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, Max Verstappen, who's obviously a phenomenal talent. Um, just whether he gets the car, you know, season in, season out. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's interesting because I, I, you know, I was a huge, and I still am. You know, Michael Schumacher is kind of my hero. Mm -hmm. So um, I think what he achieved at Ferrari is is pretty exceptional. Now I, I see here that you competed in the European Le Mans. Uh, you know, motorsport is a little dangerous. A buddy, uh, your face is your moneymaker. What are you doing? <laughs> Well, I've crashed enough times to know that the cars are pretty safe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, had the 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 um, 
it was an absolute honor. I took part um, for the first time last year, um, Le Mans, and then I, I, I returned this year. Uh, incredible experience. I don't think, you know, the, the hardest the thing I've ever experienced in terms of just a, a challenge uh, was, was, was amazing. And um, you get to know yourself in the car. Uh, I, I just have to do six hours out of the 24 hours. So the, the two pro drivers that I share with, they, they take up the rest. So the other 18 hours between the two of them. But yeah, exceptional experience. They make up all the time you lost for them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I crashed with 17 minutes left oh, in my six hours. No. Oh, man. Yeah, bummer. That's a bummer. Were you ever on Top Gear? Did you ever do the uh, celebrity in a cheap car, whatever that was called? Yeah, yeah, I did do that. Uh, star in a reasonably priced car. Um, it was the one thing that I always wanted to do. So when I arrived there, um, they were like, you've done more laps than anybody else. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and it was icy. And I think I was third fastest. Oh, Mr. Hey. Bean. Mr. Bean was faster. No way. You lost to yeah. Mr. Bean? Like to, wait, yes. like to actual Rowan to, Atkinson? I lost to Rowan Atkinson, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. my goodness. Yeah. Never in my life would <laughs> I expect that. That's kind of a cool that. tidbit of your life, man. That's that kind <laughs> no, of awesome. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> and Matt Mr. LeBlanc. Bean. I think they were the two fastest times. Matt LeBlanc and Mr. Bean. Wow. Oh, yeah, Matt LeBlanc is a big He ended up hosting the show afterwards. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, Mike, before we let you go, one more question about uh, the film. We're big fans of uh, Taika Waititi and his film and the the work that he's done. Just for you, I mean, as you said, that this is a guy that you have so much respect for. What was it like working with him and kind of like getting a peek inside his mind? It was a lot of fun. Um, You know, he's just... You know, the energy levels are incredible. Just the sort of creative juices flowing all the time. Um, Always, you know, searching for uh, different energy, different takes. Uh, Just a lot of fun. Very inclusive. Um, uh, And, you know, you can tell that he's doing what he he loves to do. It's, It's a very intoxicating uh, atmosphere on uh, on his sets it's 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 a lot of fun and demanding you know because you're trying to do you know it, it's it's comedy uh, you, you know you're you're trying to find the heartfelt moments as well which is i you know think what he does really well you know finding those sort of human moments within uh, a comedic sort of realm so yeah it was it was it was great had so much fun well, it's a, a wonderful film, and you gave a wonderful performance. We're really grateful to you for uh, taking the time to join us today. Thank you so much, Michael Fassbender. It's an honor. Thank you. It's an honor. Such a fun chat. Huge thanks to Michael Fassbender for taking the time to join us yesterday. All right, time for another break. We are going to chat some early thoughts on the MLS Cup Conference semifinals when we return. Don't go anywhere. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.